Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. We're here to talk about Haiti. I was a little nervous this morning and then realized my wife just wanted me to talk long enough to make sure the mic worked, so here it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right, so um, for those of you who don't know us, we're Seth and Jamie Rainwater, and we had the honor to um, be in Haiti this last month. Um, we were in a little village called Nepli um, with an organization called My Life Speaks, and um, there is a group from um, New Life that's going to be held up by Ryan and Caitlin this, that's going this September. So we're going to kind of tell you a little bit about our month and get you guys excited and stuff about what's going to come up in September as well, um, as you can see in the picture above me, um, Seth did mo- a lot of wiring while we were there. Um, he spent most of the time rewiring the campuses and um, generators and all kinds of issues and stuff. And um, he's up in a tree wiring, sending power to generators and stuff because water broke and all kinds of things broke. But um, God was, he was able to use those talents and stuff God gave him to really help help out with the campus. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, My Life Speaks, the organization My Life Speaks is focused on three major things, orphan care and prevention, education, and public health. They've really taken the um, the verse in Thessalonians that says, we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. They've taken that verse and they've really lived that out. They're ro- located right in the middle of the village, um, and they just live life with the people. Um, they're there to support them, they're there to help them. Um, they're there to empower them, um, not to give handouts, but to give them a hand up. Um, while we were there for the month, each week a new team would come in. Just like in September, we're going to have a team from New Life that will come in. And each team will do a, a different project, something that their church should plan or something that they, they asked them to plan. While we were there, we had a week of VBS. We had a week of splash camp. Um, the last week that we were there, there was a basketball camp. And so um, they brought in all the kids and um, did a basketball camp with them. They also did a teacher professional development conference with them, which I'm going to talk to you about in a little bit more detail here in a minute. But each week, Seth took a lot of video, and he and he did a like a week snapshot video, and we showed on that Friday. So we thought to start with, we would show you our last week there. So this is a video that Seth took um, and kind of put together, and you're going to see a team there and just all the things that they did, and you're just going to really see that verse played out and how just the team members and the staff there at My Life Speaks, how they just live live in with the people and share their lives there as well. So if we want to go ahead and show that video. Bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me And every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right But that's alright Cause I hear a voice and it calls me every day When others say I'll never be enough And greater is the one living inside of me Than he who is living in the world In the world
gotta tell them boys I never leave the crib alone Cause I keep one in my car and I got two at home They different kinds but they do the same thing Double S, double barrel, bang, bang, yes sir I'm out here facing raggers, I ain't out my mind They coming from the soul, so we got that time Them lads they trying to kill me if you don't believe me I don't care, I don't care, I can't take it easy I'm flipping the page, I'm trigger happy, you're flipping the cage Clicking and hitting the stage, hit you with truth, he's in every phrase Deep cut me deep, I'm diving in, diving in When I ride, I got the hit, I'm alive again I'm alive again, I'm alive again That's right Okay, so real quick funny story, so you can kind of see like what a week kind of looks like there. And a quick funny story before I talk about the professional development. Our uh, last week we were there, so they do a feeding program. And so they bring in about 100, 120 kids every day, once uh, once a day, and they give them a good hot meal. And for some kids, that's like their only hot meal of the day. And Lashar, that's one of his favorite activities. He loves serving at the feeding program. So he would always pass out food and water and collect cups and stuff, and he got to do it with all his friends. And the last week we were there, we noticed he was not hungry at dinner time. He just, he, we would try to get him to eat and he wouldn't eat. And then we found out that he was finishing up all the leftovers from feeding program. So whatever the kids didn't eat at feeding program, he was going through and eating the food there. So, um, so he was getting fed too, which I guess is good. But, um, so one of the things that, um, we got to be a part of and that I got to help lead was a teacher professional development conference. And you might think, okay, well, what's the big deal about that? They are literally non-existent in Haiti. You see, in Haiti, there are schools everywhere. Okay, and so anybody can come off the street and teach in those schools. So you can have anyone come in. They don't have to have any special training. You don't have to be certified. You come in, you're going to have 50 to 60 students. You may have a chalkboard and some chalk and some pretty bad curriculum. There's no professional development. There's no way to perfect your craft. And so a lot of the teaching is done what you call road style, where somebody's lecturing and the kids are just listening or writing things down. So we came in and we brought in, um, there were about 35 teachers that came to this conference. This was our first one. And there was not only at Life Academy with the organization we were with, but there were um, other villages that sent teachers in as well. And it was a phenomenal success. In fact, one teacher said she never, ever thought of using games and activities in her classroom. They have a teaching school there. But the way that they teach them how to teach is, again, that old road style where they just have to memorize. Kids are asked to memorize things like perhaps they have to memorize the ABCs. But they don't understand that A makes a sound and that sound helps them to read. They don't. They may memorize 2 plus 2 is 4, but they don't understand that that's 2 and 2 two put together to make four. Everything's just memorized. So we were showing them techniques and ideas and stuff, and they just ate it up. Um, they're, di- they're already excited about next year, um, and we're guessing there's probably going to be about 50 to 100 teachers next year. Um, and and they, they wanted their whole entire school to come. Now, you might say, okay, well, how is that going to impact Haiti? If you'll go to the next slide. We also got to be a part and got to witness a kindergarten graduation. Now, if you look up here in these pictures, you can see these kindergartners. They're dressed in cap and gown, and they're all dressed up. It is a big deal. Graduation lasted two to three hours. They have a big party afterwards. Every kindergartner gets a diploma. I mean, like, think of high school graduation here in America. It's the same thing as in Haiti. You might say, well, why is kindergarten graduation such a big deal? Because only 1% of people in Haiti graduate from high school. So these parents know that they're not going to see their child probably graduate from high school. So therefore, kindergarten graduation there is the equivalent of high school graduation here. Most children drop out by the time they are in sixth grade. And only um, over 50% of people in Haiti are illiterate. They can't read or write. So going back to that teacher education, we, you, as we know, education is so powerful and it's empowering. And so when you can teach those teachers that will then teach those kids and help them learn, you're going to help Haiti and other developing countries better themselves. If you want to go to the next slide. But enough about us. Okay, let's talk about God. 
All right? You know, we go on mission trips, and I know we're going to send a group in September to Haiti. You go on mission trips, and you're like, okay, God, I want to be used by you. And he'll use you. And you're like, God, I can't wait to see, you know, the things that you're going to do. But what you might not be prepared for is how he's going to wreck you. What you might not be prepared for is how he is going to grow you. You think you're going to help other people, but you yourself end up being helped. Last summer when we went, I saw somebody, we uh, prayed for a woman who had Parkinson's, had severe tremors, and I saw her got healed right in front of me. And it just totally, I mean, just totally radically changed me. I believed in healing. When I was five years old, my mom was healed from cancer. I know God heals. But to see it in person, right there, just totally just solidified my faith. As time went on over this last year, there had been several miraculous healings and things that God has done in Nepali. So when we went back in June, he was still, he's, and he still is working there. Um, there was a lady there that, um, was, had a gallbladder surgery. She uh, had a gallbladder removed in her appendix. And being a third world country, that's, that's kind of surgery is pretty sketchy. And she ended up having a severe blood clot in her leg. She was a young mom of two. Um, they ended up taking her to the hospital because, um, I'll be honest, the doctor said she had a 1% chance to live. There was an American doctor there and one of the teams, and he said, well, if she was in the States, they could have given her this, this, and this. But they didn't have that medicine in Haiti. But they have God. And they have the power of God. And so we prayed over her, and she became healed. Totally healed. That blood clot broke her up, and she is back home with her kids. And this lady, if you had seen her before, she looked like, I mean, she was on death's door. But God had healed her. And when you talk to people there and you're like, oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? God healed you. God healed them. They'll be like, yeah, you prayed. Of course God healed. That expectancy is there. That faith is there. Because they, 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 in Haiti, they really operate in that spiritual realm, world, whether it's a good or bad. The story I'm going to leave you with is up here. This young lady, her name is Sabine. The first night that we were there, um, um, I, Andrea, who's the director of general education there, grabbed me by the arm and took me out to the street. And she said, come on, we need to pray for her. I was like, okay, well, we need to pray about. She goes, just pray for deliverance. So I never met her before in my life. So we go out there and we start praying for her. And I, and Sabi was very shy, very timid. She would not look in your eye. She, you know, she just kept her head down and stuff. Then she was just standing there with her baby. And we prayed for her and she left. And so she brought me, Andrea brought me in and told me Sabine's story. Um, Sabine's not from Nepali. She's actually from Port-au-Prince. When she was 16 years old, she was bought, and she was brought in as a prostitute. And the man who bought her very, very badly mistreated her. And then she had her baby, Cammy, and he kicked her out and wanted nothing to do with her. Sabine was hopeless. She, had, she was a single mom. She had no way to support her baby. She pr- practiced voodooism, and she worshiped Satan. And so she turned to Satan and voodooism and hoping that she could get money and stuff for her baby. Well, about August, this last fall, she became possessed. And so some people came to the Milo Speaks campus, and they're saying, Sabine is possessed. We need to go pray for her. We need to go deliver her. So they went to her, and they, they went to her house, and they said she wasn't herself. You know, she's very quiet, timid, shy. She was very outgoing. She was very loud. She was rolling her eyes. Um, she just she just wasn't herself. You could tell something was over her. And as Sabine was walking around, and she looked over at Andrea, and Andrea stared at her, and she whispered the name of Jesus. Because that name is powerful. The name of Jesus. It says Sabine's body began to go in convulsions. They say the things that you read about in the scriptures about people being possessed, they saw it happening right there. How she started acting. Well then, word got to the, uh, the cooking staff, the kitchen ladies, and Ryan and Caitlin can attest to them. They're amazing ladies. They work hard, they laugh hard, um, that you don't mess with them. Okay, you grab the wrong cups for the wrong program and they're gonna tell you, you know, you put those cups back. Okay, you're gonna grab these. Well these kitchen ladies, they are powerhouses for God. They wipe the flour off and they're going out there and we're like, this demon, this demon has got nothing on us. We're gonna go cast this thing out. So they go out there and they start praying for her. And so they got her calmed down enough, and they asked her, do you want to be delivered? She said, yes. And they said, Sabine, in order for you to be delivered, you just need to speak the name of Jesus. 
Every time Sabine tried to speak the name of Jesus, as soon as she would say, that demon would come back over her and torment her body so she could not speak his name. So they began, kept praying and kept praying and kept praying. And finally, she was able to shout out the name of Jesus. And then instantly, she was delivered from that demon spirit. Because, and there's one thing that I realized there, and we know it, but we get so complacent and so content that the name of Jesus has such power to it. When we pray and we say, in Jesus' name, you're speaking power into that prayer. If you look back in Acts and the apostles, they were oftentimes arrested and they were released and they were given one instruction. And it was what? Do not speak the name of Jesus. Why? Because the name of Jesus has power. Well, after Sabine was delivered, she was kind of like, I don't know what to do next. See, her whole life she knew was one way, worshiping voodoo, worshiping Satan. And she would say, you know, if I pray to Satan, he's going to give me winning numbers to a lottery. There's like a lottery system that's very voodoo, very pagan. She's like, he'll give me winning numbers and I can get food for my baby. If I pray to Satan, he may give me money and I can get food for, you know, to, to live, to survive. Will this Jesus take care of me? And so they began praying with her. And so she was so desperate and she so wanted to change. She began to every single day come to the campus and ask for prayer every single night. And that's where she was that first night we were there. As that month went on, she would come. We, you'd see her. She'd be waiting outside until everyone was done. The day was done with, that, with her baby, Cammie, asking for someone to pray with her. As the month went on, she accepted Christ. We went to her house and prayed over her house. The voodoo trinkets are gone. The idols are gone. She says that, she, I mean, and she'll tell you she knows that Jesus is going to take care of her. She doesn't need that anymore. She doesn't need that past anymore. She's got Jesus now. And the last week we were there, if you go out and she'll, she'll be there, those of you in, in, in um, September there going, she'll be there. At the end, she started praying for you if you prayed for her. And I learned something that week, that whole month I was there. So many times we're asked to pray for people, and it almost feels like an obligation. And maybe it's just me. But I realize it's a privilege. Because when you pray for them, you are changing their life. Your prayers end up being entwined into their life, and it changes their course. And in the uh, prayers didn't become an obligation. I look forward to finding her so I can pray with her. I would ask, I'm like, Gosh, is she here yet? Please grab me when you go pray for her. Because I realize how privileged it is to pray for somebody. And I also learned the power of the name of Jesus. So this time, when you're thinking and you're praying, pray for the group that's going in September. Not only pray that God will use them because he will. Pray that they'll be ready. That they're going to be ready for what God is going to show them and reveal to them and bring back here. And pray for Sabine. Pray that she'll continue that, that, that path that she has started on and that God will use her in a mighty way to change her family as well as the, the uh, town of Nepali. So thank you so, so much. Amen. And thank you, Seth. <laughs> Give it up, Seth. Amen. <laughs> he was the bodyguard. <laughs> As we think of missions, I also am reminded of our ministry in Uganda, John and Beth Wusagala, who are soon to return, and we are trying to send with them uh, some equipment. And so, we come to find out there's about 11 pieces of equipment. It's going to run about $2,200 for them to get it through. So they said, well, we're just not going to be able to take it. Well, our God's bigger than $2,200. Amen? So I said, tell you what, this Sunday we're going to take an offering, and then even during the week there'll be a basket here. And, uh, and next week, anytime, next couple weeks, if you want to give towards that, you feel free. But right now I'm going to ask ushers to come. And let's just, let's just pray and ask God's blessing. Father, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And we're also reminded that you own the hills. So this is nothing. This is, this is really nothing. Right now, we ask that you will just provide the funds for this equipment and use it to the glory of God. We have given themselves to you. And so, Lord, they are sold out to you to minister in that country. So help us to help them. 
And use us now as we give this gift. May we give it as unto Christ. And may you just bless it and multiply it as you did with the loaves and the fishes. And we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. While the offering's there, we have a special guest coming as well. He's got an update. He's, a, I think, a mad scientist. Well, he may be a glad scientist. Good morning. Good morning. Guess what time of the year it is? Can you tell? It's time for VBS. And this year we're going, yeah, perfect. And this year we are doing an Arctic adventure and I get to be part of Discovery Labs. This is really wonderful. And you know, not all of us are sent, but all of us are senders, aren't we? We're the ones that are behind these people going out and doing these fabulous things. But you get to be a part as a sender. And not all of us have the gift of evangelism like some people. So, in fact, some of us think that probably one of the worst things on the planet is knocking on a stranger's door and asking them if they're saved. Right? Uh, No one's going to admit it but me. Okay. Well, the reason I'm bringing it up is you have an opportunity. You can help introduce your neighbor's kids your grandkids, maybe your kids, to an opportunity to come to VBS. It's a form of outreach, and you don't have to go present the message or anything. All you have to do is pick up some of these little cards out here that will give you that information because it starts a week from tomorrow. A week from tomorrow will be your opportunity to help, and you can also help directly. We still need some people. It would be great if you just sign up out here at the table as you go out, or if there's a couple of things left on our board that we could still use for VBS. VBS has a long history here at New Life, and the VBS that we have been doing these last few years, number of years now, is a community effort. There is more than one church involved. So you're really extending your outreach, and you didn't have to go to Kenya to do it. You can do it right here. So hopefully you're going to send some of your kids, your grandkids, your neighbor's kids, because when you send them, eventually mom and dad show up too. It's kind of subtle. We'll just do that. So anyway, thank you so much. And by the way, no, I will not share my hairdresser's name with you. Thanks so much. Amen. Amen. Kids may be dismissed at this time, by the way. I'm getting the signal back there. And by the way, those who didn't know, that was Don Baker. Normally he wears a wig. But I said, I was like, what? All right, kids. Wow, so few. There's 20-some people left this morning for camp. And so uh, exciting to see what those who are able to go and those who are being chaperones. All right, we need to giddy up. Amen? Because you know I have the gift of brevity, don't you? Did anybody pack a lunch? Ah, okay. All right. Hey, last week we heard from Sold Out International, Josh and company, and what God was doing in their lives. It was the acts of the disciples of Sold Out. And we heard testimony how God worked and moved there. Today we heard from Seth and Jamie just getting back from Haiti. And if you would say, it's the acts of these disciples, Seth and Jamie, and what they did down in Haiti. When we come to the book of Acts, chapter 18, when we come to the book of Acts, I'm reminded again that what we're reading about is an account of the acts of what the apostles did. So this is their testimony. It's their written testimony. And right now they're heading down to a city called Corinth. And we're going to pick it up in verse 18, or verse 1 of chapter 18. After these things, what things? Remember they were just up in Athens? Remember? And they were in Athens. They met the Epicureans and Stoics who took them to Mars Hill. After these things... Paul found a certain Jew located who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. Paul came to them. Now pause for a minute. We just meet a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Now they just came from Rome. They were born in Pontus and they were over in Rome. But we just discovered that a Caesar... Uh, Claudius, he expels all the Jews from Rome. And what was going on, if you read about the expulsion of the Jews back during this time, that it was 49 AD, there was an infighting amongst the Jews. 
And according to Roman documents and records, they were fighting over this subject of Christos. And so apparently believers had already arrived up in Rome and had been sharing the gospel there in Rome. And of course it was in amongst the Jews. Now the Romans did not differentiate between Christians and Jews. It was all a Jewish issue. It was all Jewish people. And so Claudius got tired of hearing about their arguments and he said all the Jews have to leave Rome. So he just expelled all the Jews from Rome and they have left Rome and Aquila and Priscilla have come down to Corinth. It's interesting to note, you will not see in this account Priscilla or Aquila getting saved. So apparently they must have already been saved and may have been part of the discussion back in Rome. And so they come down here and Paul finds them. And like I said, there's no mention of them being saved at this time. So apparently they were already believers. Now, so they fled Rome, they come to Corinth. So, said Paul joined them. He, excuse me, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. So, that's interesting. For the first time it says, Paul worked with Priscilla and Aquila because they, plural, were tent makers. And Paul was a tent maker. And you say, well, wait a minute. I thought Paul was, you know, a Pharisee before he got saved. I thought Paul was a rabbi, a teacher, and even now is a teacher and an evangelist. How is it that it says that he was a tent maker? That's a good question. Because in a Jewish culture, it was believed that you were to teach your son, since they were the, the workers in their culture, two trades. There was always, they were always taught a backup trade. So whatever trade you were in, if uh, something happened in that industry and that trade went down, uh, you had something to fall back on. And in this case, Paul's trade that he was taught by his father was how to make tents. This is the first mobile home manufacturing system, right? Now he wasn't making Winnebago's, he was making tents. And he was taught this. Matter of fact, the Jewish proverb is, if you do not teach your son a second trade, you have uh, taught them to be a thief. So if you don't teach him a second trade, you taught him to be a thief. And so Paul, by trade, was also a tent maker and hooked up uh, to do some work with these this couple. Now, verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Okay, let's pause. Now, remember, in the synagogues, Paul would go in the synagogue, and he covered two points. And when he was in Thessalonica, we were told those two points was first, point one, the Messiah is not simply coming as a conquering king. He is first coming as a suffering Savior. When the Messiah comes, he said, he must suffer, and he will die, and he will be raised from the dead. So that was the first point he had to convince, and as the text says, persuade those in the synagogue that this is who the Messiah is going to be. That's verse 4. Then, in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, remember, Paul sent them back to Thessalonica, and now they're returning. When they returned, Paul was compelled by the Spirit now and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. That's the second point of his two-point message that he has. So he would go into synagogues week after week and try to explain from the Scripture the Savior, or the Messiah is going to come, He's going to suffer, He's going to die, and He's going to rise from the dead. So week after week he taught this, and then when Silas and Timothy showed that week, the Spirit says to Paul, okay, Paul, now it's time to tell them who this suffering Savior is. And so he reaches point two of his evangelistic effort, and he says, and by the way, this Messiah that I've been teaching you about is none other than a man named Jesus who was just here 18 years ago and suffered and died and rose again. So as soon as they reveal who the Messiah was, Jesus, then you read verse 6. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own head. I am clean 
I, from now on I go to the Gentiles. I am done with you guys. I'm going to the Gentiles. And so he goes out the door, and in verse 7, not sure we had that, it says, And he departed from there, and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, now notice, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Uh, do, do you get that? Okay, I'm done with you guys, I'm leaving. Now think of the annex building, moved over to about the sidewalk. I'm done. I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going to go out this door, and I'm going to go over to this guy named Justice House, who happens to be a Gentile, and I'm going to stand right there, and I'm going to go there. I can see Paul waving through the window on the Sabbath going, Come on over, guys. I can see people heading to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he's sitting on the front porch at Justice House. Going, so he didn't go too far when he said, okay, I'm leaving. He goes right next door to a house. By the way, these houses often were fastened together. So it's probably connected right to the synagogue as well. Father, as we come to your word, teach us, help us, grow us, show us your heart this morning. Preach through me, Lord, and preach to me. If there's even one here that does not know Jesus as their personal Savior, whether they're here or listening over the internet, Father, I pray that you will break through their hearts, break into their hearts, invade their thoughts, infiltrate their mind with the gospel of Jesus and deliver them. You could do great things, just as you did for this woman down in Haiti, Lord, and many others. You are able to deliver to the uttermost, and we trust you for that today. Anoint us with your presence and power, and together we pray in Jesus' name, that name above all names, and we all say... Amen and amen. By the way, a shout out to my beautiful wife who's watching from Virginia and others waving. I'm withering away, honey. Six pounds, six pounds. Yeah. But it's good. It's good. By the way, a shout out to really dear friends of mine from our church down in Florida. Danny and Vicki Thomas are here. Surprise visit. Yay, Danny and Vicki. Give it up. Danny Thomas is here. Anytime, somehow. <laughs> Danny and Vicky, it's just a, a blessing to have you guys. It was a surprise. Second service, I get done, I go, hey, you guys are here. Okay, we need to move on. Fun facts with Tim. We like fun facts with Tim, don't we? Yeah, baby. All right. First of all, let's look at the missionary journey. This is the second one. Matt, please. Far right, oh, no, no, yep, okay. purple area, where the little curve is, that's Antioch, that's where they left. Remember, back in the day, Barnabas and Paul locked horns, Barnabas went down to that island of Cyprus, and instead of bumping into them, Paul and Silas went north. Then they cut across to this green area, Galatia, and Galatia, we saw that he went to Derby and Lystra and Iconium, and in Lystra, he picked up a guy named Tim. Remember Timothy? He's in our text. That's where he came from. And so he hooks up with them, and the team started heading west. Remember? And the Holy Spirit forbade them from going into Asia, the province of Asia. So they wanted to go in there. They wanted to get the gospel to them. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going there right now. And they're like, okay, well, okay, then we'll go north. We've already been uh, to the, the east, and we've been to the south before. We'll head north to Bithynia, and notice the north is Pontus. Who is from Pontus? Aquila and Priscilla. Remember in our text? So that's where they were born. And remember, they were trying to go into that region, and it said that the Spirit of God denied them entrance into this region. So they tried and tried and tried, is the word, and the Spirit of God said, no, no, no. So instead of going north, they said, well, man, we've already been east and south, and, and we, we can't go to Asia. Where are we going to go? And they headed right to Troas. Remember, in the text that we read, nowhere did it say the Spirit of God said, go to Troas. All they did was they just kept on the move for the Lord, and they just kept sharing the gospel, and they kept moving until they couldn't move any further. They ran into the sea there at Troas. Let's zoom in for a closer look. Oh, there we are. Right in the center, Troas. And in Troas, they pick up another team member named Dr. Luke. He wrote the gospel of Luke. He wrote another letter called the Book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, which we're reading right now. So there they saw the Macedonian call. Macedonia, top left. 
And the man of Macedonia said, come over, we need help. And they said, okay. They jump on a ship and they sail over uh, to Neapolis, then to Philippi. Remember that? Everybody remember these chapters? There's a little review here. All right. They get to Philippi. They meet Lydia, seller her purple. She gets saved. Then this girl's following them the whole time, mocking them and blaspheming God. And finally, they've had enough. And they turn to her and they cast the demon that was in her out of her. Remember that? Yeah. And then the people that owned her, because she was a fortune teller for these uh, profiteers, they got mad because they just lost their income from this gal, grabs Paul, takes him down, the magistrates throw him in jail, and while in jail there was an earthquake. Remember that? Vaguely. Vaguely. I know, it's hard for me Monday to remember what I preached Sunday. Anyone else have that problem? Ah, no one admits it. So anyways, long story short, Philippian jailer gets saved. They find out he's a Roman. They say, oh, we beat a Roman citizen. Can't do that. So they say, please leave our city. So they left and they traveled south to Thessalonica, just down there near the point to the left. And uh, there in Thessalonica, they go into synagogues. They share the suffering Savior. Jesus is, uh, is the Savior. They go and they rent a riot. Remember that? They went down to the marketplace. They paid some evil men to form a riot. A riot takes place, and they get chased out of town, and they go to that little point to the far left, Berea. And there in Berea, they share the gospel. The Bereans are looking through the scriptures, seeing if these things are so, and they said, well, they are so. And many Bereans got saved. But the hounds of hell from Thessalonica get back down there to, to Berea and said, hey, we got to get these guys out of here. So then they leave, they set sail, and Paul... Paul goes south, Timothy and Silas go back to Thessalonica. Now, if you come down to the switchback on the bottom, you see it there in the bottom left? See it? Where it curves and comes back, that is Athens. That's where we were last time we were together, which was a week ago, not this past week, you know what I mean. And there in, Thess or in, in Athens, remember who he encountered? He encountered these Epicureans and these Stoics. And they took him to Mars Hill and they said, Hey, we want to hear this wisdom of this God, of the unknown God. And so he then shares the gospel. They don't throw him out of town. But he hears, they hear the gospel and say, We'll hear this another time. So he leaves Athens and goes to the far left there, which is Corinth. It's a 48-mile hike, in case you're wondering. And it probably took a couple days. For me, it would probably take a couple weeks. For them, they're used to it. Boom, they're down at Corinth. Now, Corinth is on this big section called Achaia. And this is like half of Greece. And there is a connecting link where Corinth is located. Now, I thought I'd get a satellite picture of this, so I zoomed in on a satellite picture. Oh, there's Acacia. Now, you see a little circle there to the top? I probably should have made it bigger. That is where Corinth is located. Corinth is the connecting link between the northern part of Greece and the southern Greece. Let's zoom in a little closer. Oh, there we go. There's a connecting link. The Corinthian city would actually go from the uh, Sea of Ionia to the, Aege the Aegean Sea, and that whole area was considered the city of Corinth. Now, that body of land is called the Isthmus. Isthmus? Isthmus? I-S-T-H-M-U-S. By the way, that violates one of the two universal laws. First law, never let the skinny guy pick the restaurant. Second law, never let the guy with a lisp name the landmass. <laughs> Who in the world would name an isthmus? Because it's got two buttons. Couldn't you name it something else, you know? We call this a connecting link. That works. But this is a connecting link of all of Greece. Now, ships would come to this area and they would unload their, their cargo and the burden. They would carry it over land four miles or 6.4 kilometers, in case you're metrically inclined. They would carry it across the land and put it on another ship to go to Rome because it was easier to unload and reload than it was to go around the entire peninsula of Acacia. And so people lived all the ways across this, this uh, isthmus and carried all this cargo for many, 
millenniums. A millennium is more than 100 years. It's actually 10, 100 years, right? For thousands of years, they carried it across there until someone said, hey, why don't we just build, dig a canal like they have in Panama across this isthmus? And ha ha, lo and behold, today if you were to go there, Corinth is cut right in half by this canal. You say, why didn't they think of it earlier? I'm sure they did. But when you look at the next picture, you realize it wasn't just dirt. It was solid rock. So that's what it is today. If you were to go to Corinth, you would see this canal connecting these two bodies of water. There's a tugboat pulling a large uh, freighter through there right now. And that's all solid rock. 1893 is when they created this body of water. Okay, now are you happy to you know all that? Geographically, you say, oh, that's cool. So now you see why the, why the city you'll find out is going to be very big. Okay, next picture. The political realm. What was going on politically, you wonder, or you ask. Do you, anyone ask? Thanks for asking. Roman Senate. In the Senate of Rome, there was a guy named Gallio. Not Gallo, that would be Ernest and Julio. Gallio was a Roman senator who was really good buddies with the emperor Claudius. And Claudius said, hey Gallio, how would you like to have your own uh, area that you could rule? You could be the proconsul of Acacia. So he sent Gallio down to Acacia. Why is that important? Because in verse 12 of this chapter, the Jews are going to take Paul and they're going to bring him before Gallio and they're going to say blah, 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 blah. And Gallio is going to say, hey, we're don't, I don't want to hear anything about this argument amongst you Jews. See to it yourself. Where did he get that idea from? His buddy Claudius. Remember who just kicked all the Jews out of Rome? And now they're in his city. And now he's saying, hey, the same, whatever's just like Rome. When in Rome, do as the Romans. When in Corinth, we do as the Romans also. So I don't want to hear it. We're going to meet Gallio here in a minute. By the way, you know who Gallio's brother was? I'll give you a hint. He wrote Letters from a Stoic. Remember we learned about Stoics last week. Letters from a Stoic. His name was Seneca. Seneca was the brother of Gallio. And so Seneca was the guy back in Athens that, that was arguing, and they're arguing with Paul, said, hey, we don't believe this strange doctrine of yours. That was Seneca. Who, by the way, is the tutor to Nero. Nero is going to kill a lot of Christians here in the near future. And so his brother, Gallio's brother, is the one that tutored Nero. Aren't you glad to know that? Yeah. Gives you kind of an idea of the environment going on. Okay. Now, the city, geographically. If you were to wind the clock back 400 years, next slide will show, that this was a large city. There was 90,000 people in 400 B.C. in the city of Corinth. You think that's a lot? Yeah. I mean, they had a theater, an amphitheater, bigger than our county. Next slide. They had an amphitheater that sat 15,000 people in one amphitheater. That's our whole county. I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty good-sized amphitheater, especially with no public address system. So they would meet in this huge amphitheater. 15,000 people. This was a metropolis. And this was a metropolis that, that had sailors crossing all the time. Uh, they, they had uh, merchants there. This was a connecting link between the whole continent of Greece. And not only did they have the, the amphitheater and, and the population, but they had plenty of false gods as well. The temple Apollo was there. As a matter of fact, next chapter, a guy named Apollos is going to go back to Corinth as an evangelist. But they had a temple Apollo, and then up on top of the mountain is the Acro-Corinth, where the temple Aphrodite was. In this temple, the ruins are still there today, as we see here in this slide. The temple Aphrodite had 1,000 temple prostitutes. They would travel down from the hill, down into the cities, and, you know, you know. And that, that was the route. That was their culture. They, people grew up in this culture. With the temple of Aphrodite, with all the prostitutes, with all the evil going back and forth. If you were to think of this city today, it would certainly be named Sin City. Wouldn't it? 
No reference to any city in our country, I'm just saying. The city of Corinth was a sinful, sinful city. One of which you would avoid, especially tell your children to avoid. And yet, I look at this city, and I think of the heart of the Savior, who says, you know what? The people of Athens, they're too wise for me. They're too smart for their own britches. They think they have all the answers with their philosophy. They don't want me. He goes, I'm going down to Corinth. Where everyone else is running from, I'm going right into there. I'm sending my man, my team, Paul, Luke, and company, down into this city. And the wickedness and vileness of this city, I'm going to send them down there to share the good news of Jesus Christ. When it comes to this city, Corinth had the reputation in their culture of being a city of debauchery. Now, if you know anything about the Roman culture, it was very immoral as a whole. I mean, crazy immorality throughout the whole empire. So when you have this, this crazy empire that, where immorality is, is rampant, and they are the ones that call you the sinful city, then you know you must be a sinful city. It's interesting, by the way, whenever they had a play in their theater, now, this is back before they put movies into the theaters. They had live people that moved around. And they wore a little mask. Those masks, those people in the play were called hypocrites because they were wearers of the mask. And so whenever they would have a play, and in the play, in the storyline, if there was someone from Corinth in the play, that person was always depicted as someone who is deceitfully lying and a drunkard. Who is deceitful, a liar, and a drunkard. Deceitful liar could be the same thing. But they know if you were from Corinth and you were in a play, the only role that they ever had was to be the drunker who would lie to you and deceive you and rob you and steal from you. They were always and only the thieves in plays. Only. And if they were, let's say they're expanding the Roman Empire, they're up beating up the Gauls in the Punic Wars, and they see these people that are really sinful by their standards. They would say, he lives like a Corinthian. That was the expression. So in the Roman times, when they saw something that they thought was bad, which had to be really bad, they would say, that person lives like a Corinthian. It doesn't matter where in the empire they're from, that's the label that they wore, and that's the label they gave them. So when you think of that, I tell you all that, because I want you to think of these people that the Lord writes to. And think from their background, from their culture, from this temple, from the, the uh, Aphrodites and the thousands of prostitutes that were in the middle of this wicked city. Think of that background when Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians. The first letter after he just leaves Corinth and he writes back to them. In verse 9 he writes this of chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's talking because this is why we came. We want you to inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, or excuse me, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And remember, I didn't write this. Verse 11. And such were, past tense, some of you. So in their church, all these litany of, of issues and sins, he says, all these things, he goes, and such were some of you. This is your background. But he goes on to say, but. That's awesome. He goes, in other words, we're going this way, but you are washed. You are sanctified but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. This was your identity. He says, but now this is your identity. This is who you are inside. This is what God's done in you. He has saved you. He has washed you. He has sanctified you. And He has justified you. This is what you were. 
You came to Christ. This is now who you are in Christ. An interesting verse 15, he says to them, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. He's addressing their behavior. He goes, is this how, is this how it should be played out? Is this how we should act as believers? The, the inference is that this is going on. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? Remember all these harlots that come down off the mountain. He says, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, whom you have of God, and you're not your own? The temple of Aphrodite is where all the prostitutes would leave and go up there. They dwell in that temple. He says, but though they dwell there, I want to tell you something, Corinthians. God's Spirit dwells in you. You are His temple. As a matter of fact, he says, for you were bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. You see, the prostitutes have come down and they are bought with a price for a temporary encounter. But God says, but you are bought with a price, with a personal relationship. He says, put aside these temporary encounters with sin. Because this is not your identity, this is your identity. Know who you are in Christ, He says. And if you know who you are in Christ, you'll say, how can I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid... You see, when we come to this text, he's writing these people. They were struggling Christians. They were struggling people. And yet they're like, how do I... I was raised in this culture. These things were acceptable in my culture. And I was raised to say, well, this is okay and that's okay. And now I'm a new person in Christ. By the way, that's also 2 Corinthians. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. And look, behold, all things become new. He goes, it's not you anymore. It's not you. This is your identity now. He goes, remember your identity. He writes to these people at Corinth. And he writes this in the first chapter. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who perish. But to us, Corinthians who are being saved, it is by the power of God. I just left Athens, 48 miles away. And there, they're they're so wise, all their philosophy. And it's foolish. They think, this is crazy what you're teaching. For it is written, verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. All those who think there's something up in Athens, forget about it. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Where is he now? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? They think they're so wise. They think they have all the answers. And they think because they can take in these philosophical rabbit trails and get your mind all twisted up. You're like, oh, I can't even. It's like I'm talking in this whirlwind. They think because they can manipulate your thoughts and mine, they think they're really something. And God says, they're not. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Stoics and Epicureans believe that they can self-better themselves. Through self-betterment, they can become an eternal being and a what they call a whole being. In other words, gods themselves. He says, but it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I'm doing a foolish thing up here right now. He said, well, I just, I knew you were a little foolish. He said, through the foolishness of preaching. Now, you think of the world looks at Christians that go to the house, they go to this building, and you listen to a guy get up there and go, blah, 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 blah. And they're thinking, they're crazy. They're foolish. They don't know what they're talking about. 
their wisdom, say, no, it's all about wisdom. They say, no, it's all about miracles. But we preach Christ crucified, bottom line. Jesus, the Messiah, was crucified. And to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. And Christ is the wisdom of God. Everyone else thinks it's foolish, but to us are saved, like Jamie would say, man, that's some powerful stuff. The name of Jesus is powerful, friends. And it's saving, and it's delivering, and it's life-changing. And he says, we know that. Because the foolishness of God, if there is such a thing, is wiser than man. And the weakness of God, again, if there is such a thing, is stronger than men. For you see your calling, Corinthian brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Interesting, Queen Elizabeth said, I thank the Lord for the letter M. That that verse said, not many noble, and did not say, not any noble. Thank the Lord for the letter M. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Remember, He called us. He has chosen the foolish things of the world. So we know a category we've fallen, right? Okay, that's cool. To put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. You know what he's saying? The things which are despised. The Corinthians, the whole empire despises you. The whole empire thinks you're wicked. The whole empire mocks you in their theaters. The whole empire uses you as proverbs uh, when they speak about someone who lives like a Corinthian. The whole empire runs from you because they don't want to be defiled. But God has chosen you and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. But listen, but of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God who became for us righteousness, who became for us sanctification, who became for us redemption. That it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen? He's like, wait a minute. I know you're stumbling as a Christian. I know you have a tainted past. I know you grew up in this culture that says all these things are acceptable. He said, but I know that I have saved you. He goes, don't forget your identity. Don't forget who it was that called you. Don't forget who it was that chose you. Don't forget who it was that redeemed you and sanctified you and washed you and cleansed you and made you a child of God. That's your identity. Not what they say you are. Not what they mock you in their, their uh, theaters. Not, not the Proverbs they use. That's not your identity. You are not that anymore. And they might say, well, we're still kind of behaving like that. I know you are. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, though you're behaving like that, the Spirit of God is still living in the temple. Amen? Glad you didn't call it a tabernacle. Tabernacle's a tent. That's a temporary dwelling place. But a temple is a permanent dwelling place. And he goes, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You need to know who your identity is in Christ. And friends, as I just wrap this up this morning, when I look at 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. I used to think, man, what a bunch of baby Christians. They always wanted everything for themselves. They'd have a, a meal and they'd just keep the food to themselves, very self-serving, let the others go hungry. When it came to spiritual gifts, they abused the spiritual gifts and, and they were trying to just edify themselves and let everyone else be ignored because it was all about them. And I used to think, man, what a... What a bunch of foolish baby Christians they were. And then I realized how foolish and a baby Christian I act like sometimes. And I realized that just like they had a tainted past, I had a tainted past. And when I read about the culture they were saved out of, 
And I know the culture and the lifestyle I was saved out of. Let me tell you something. I praise God that though it was a sin city, God was seeking to make it a saved city. And God's saying, I love those people at Corinth. And everyone's running from them. I'm running right to them. I'm going right after them. And I'm going to get the good news to them. And though those others are too wise for me, too smart for me, they, they are hurting people in this city. And they're going to receive me. And now when I look at 1st, 2nd Corinthians, I see it as God helping those who are really struggling. Saying, come on, you can do it. Come on, you're a new creature in Christ. Come on, old things have passed away. Come on, all things become new. Come on, you can do this. First Second Corinthians isn't letters of judgment to them. First and Second Corinthians are letters say, "Come on, guys. Man, I know the city you're saved out of. I know what the temples are there. I know the behavior of the people, but I know who you are in Christ, and you aren't who they say you are." And you aren't who the devil tells you you are. And you are not who you might even think you are. You are saved. You are sanctified. You are justified. You are washed. And you are holy because you are in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen? <laughs> Let me tell you something. The devil's going to whisper in your ear. As a matter of fact, you know the worst part about when the devil talks to me? He uses my own voice. Sounds just like me in my head. And he says, man, what kind of Christian are you? Wow, you're, you call yourself a Christian? Look at how you drive on I-65. <laughs> hypothetical, hypothetical. Look at the attitude you have towards that person that said something to you that you're mad about. Look at your behavior. Look at how when people pray, how your mind goes off into some wicked thoughts sometimes. Or even when you pray. How many have ever prayed and all of a sudden this craziest thought comes in your mind and you go, wow, how can I be thinking of that? I'm in the middle of prayer. Has anyone done that other than me? Oh, I'm glad to know that because I thought it was just me. That's the devil getting in your head. And he's like, he wants to get your mind off of communicating with God. And he wants to tell you lies about yourself that, you know, the behavior may be true. But the identity who you are is not true. The devil will never tell you your true identity. He will always tell you your false identity. The question is, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ? Or are you going to let that thought eat away at you and tear you down and put that guilt trip on you and say, whoa, man, I'm such a Corinthian. Or are you going to say, no, I'm such a child of God. Saved, bought, cleansed, sanctified, and justified through Jesus who became it for me. Amen? Yeah, these Corinthians had their issues, but don't we all? Don't we all? God is a loving God who is going to go into Sin City, save them. Paul will leave and go to Ephesus. He'll meet a guy named Apollos. And God's going to send another evangelist back into the city of Corinth. Paul and Silas go there. Tim, or Paul and Luke, Silas and Timothy. Then they leave and then God sends another one in there. Man, God just keeps going after the Corinthians and going after them and after them and after them. Aren't you glad that God came after you? Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? God's been coming after me, but I've been running. That was my dad's testimony. I'd witness to him, witness to him, witness to him. He'd say, you're crazy, you're crazy. But one thing I can't deny is something changed you. I'm not sure what it is. And I said, it's not a what, Dad, it's a who. And he ran from God, ran all the way to the mountains of Montana. And lo and behold, his neighbor happened to be a Baptist preacher. <laughs> well, you're trying to get away from it, and you land in a town of 300, and your neighbor's the preacher. It's like Paul moving next door to the synagogue. <laughs> And there in the mountains of Montana, he said, as much as I tried to run from God, I ended up running right into him. And I prayed and asked God to save me from myself, he said. He was the Stoic. He was the Epicurean. He was the wise one from Athens. He was the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. And yet he had to humble himself 
and to realize that even all his brilliance is nothing compared to even the foolishness of God is smarter than the wisest man on this earth. And he asked Christ to save him. And today he is in glory because he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Amen? He left a couple years ago. But he's in glory today. Man, I'll tell you, he was a fireball for the Lord when he got saved too. He was a fireball. For 50-some years he fought God. Maybe today. Maybe here. Maybe listening over the internet. Maybe you've been fighting God. Maybe it's for salvation you need to get saved. It's a great day to get saved. Maybe you've just been fighting God because... You're accepting the false identity, and the Lord say, no, accept the true identity. Maybe God's just work and say, I want you to, remember, your body's a temple. I live in you. I want a relationship. I don't want a temporary encounter. I want a relationship with you. It's time we claim and proclaim who we are in Christ. Father, as we close, I pray for the Spirit of God to rest on us. I pray for the Spirit of God to infiltrate our thoughts right now. And there may be one here that feels too ashamed before you, feels guilt before you. Father, remind them that you are not putting the guilt on them. You are not pointing to their sin. You are not pointing to their shame. Lord, your Spirit always points us to the Savior and said, this is the way, walk ye in it. Father, I ask that you will speak to that heart that maybe they're not saved yet. Today they would accept Christ their Savior. Today, Lord, they would just cast all their cares upon you, for you care for them. And for those who may be here struggling with who they are in Christ, I call forth that saved individual that lives inside that shell that they think they are. And I pray that, Father, you will draw them out of that shell, draw them out of that false identity, and today would be a day of repentance and rejoicing in the presence of God do a mighty work in our service. And Father, for those who need healing, I pray, Father, they would just come and believe a great God that can heal them. The word this morning, that if someone had carpal tunnel, that needs healing. If someone with a sore rib, that needs healing today. And a word this morning that came, that someone is living in shame and is afraid to come out of it. Father, there is no judgmental spirit in our midst except for the grace of God there goes us so Father work in our midst move by your spirit touch us by your power in Jesus name stand with me as we close in song the ministry team come you need prayer come right now come with the ministry team come up let us pray for you you need healing maybe you're the one with the carpal tunnel that needs to touch you come right now maybe it's your rib that's been touched or hurt you need prayer. You come as we sing. You come.